This is the BSN Avalanche Podcast, powered by the BSN Denver Podcast Network. It'll work crisscrossing with Jost. Right in, turned out by Jari. That was a one-on-two. And Jost. McKinnon. The best avalanche coverage in Denver. Presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. I am AJ Hayfley alongside nobody else tonight, as I've got a solo round here, we'll call it, uh, as I'm going to be running down the 4-3 to three overtime loss to the Florida Panthers, talking a little bit about the Derek Brassard trade, and touching very briefly on the NHL trade deadline as a whole. Uh, our Wednesday show, Tuesday show, Wednesday show, I get all confused on my days lately, it's been a really weird problem for me. Um, our Wednesday show will feature Jesse Montano and I giving a more thorough rundown of the trade deadline as a whole. Uh, it was kind of a crazy day. Uh, big time moves were made uh, out west. Some Central Division teams going ham. So lots to talk about there. Um, I will give a couple of my quick thoughts on it in, in general here in the third segment. But most of this is going to be about the Colorado Avalanche, their game against Florida tonight, and, of course, the Derek Broussard trade, which, depending on where you sit, was either one more sign of uh, an apocalypse sure to come someday or, uh, you know, a breath of fresh air. We'll get into that. But for now, I want to start with the... 4-3 loss in overtime against the Florida Panthers. How do you how, how do you feel about this, right? So boring first period plays into a second period in which the Avalanche dominate the pace of play, get goals from Tyson Jost and Miko Ranton and build a 2-0 lead. Absolutely put it to Florida in a lot of ways. Uh, for right about 18 minutes in that second period. And then uh, one really inexplicable defensive possession, which I'm probably going to break down the video of later today because I have been unable to get it off my mind since watching it unfold live. I need to process it a little bit. I'm not sure what Alex Kerfoot's thinking. I don't know why, instead of pressuring the puck, he decides to sit back stand in the middle of the ice and and wait for the the man that's coming off the Florida bench to come in and in, into the picture um 
And as soon as he does, I mean, Kerfoot doesn't do anything. He lays down on the ice and tries to block the shot, and Troy Brower gets it through in main. Makes it 2-1. to one. I just I just don't know. I need to look at the whole defensive rotation. I need to look at all of it. It's one of those things that's been playing over and over in my mind again. And I just feel like I'm taking crazy pills. And so I think I need a more thorough rundown of it uh, if I'm ever going to have any hope at trying to sleep again. Uh, that made it 2-1. to one. Uh, Nikita Zadorov took a totally needless interference penalty immediately after. Very predictably, uh, the, the Panthers would tie it up. And they would put two goals into the back of the net. And uh, to be honest with you, Semyon Varlamov up to that point had played just fine. Obviously, he hadn't let any goals in. I didn't have any issues with his game. Um, I, didn't, I didn't particularly have like a major problem with either one of those goals. But it definitely seemed to shake the confidence a little bit because it was not a, an impressive uh, end of the road for him. Certainly not going to sit here and ding him too much. Um, he gave up four goals on 38 shots, so it's, it's you know, it's not like, uh, not like it was, a, you know, Oh my God! Bad Varley's back. No, no, nothing like that. Just um, a little bit of a letdown of a performance, I think, uh, after such a strong run of play. And then, of course, you know, overtime tends to skew those things. You know, giving up, giving up some tough goals there uh, this year. But we'll, I'll get into that. I really want to talk, touch on that third period, though. Um, there's something. There's something really weird about this team, where they seem to they seem to get that that run of confidence you know they they struggled to find their legs um you know we can talk about the the final 2 minutes and how they seem to compound mistakes they've been doing that all year and i'm not sure what that's all about um but the third period really really just did not sit well with me they came out right at the start of the third period and immediately Florida took control. And then they pushed back ever so slightly. And then the Panthers for probably half the period just tore them up. I mean, absolutely were running them in their own building. Uh, they were dominating possession. It was it was just a it was looking like it was just a matter of time until things went very south for Colorado. And then Ryan Graves out of nowhere, and as it was happening, I you know I'm sitting next to uh, Adrian Dater and and, and uh, one of the gentlemen that works for the Florida Panthers who was hilariously vocal all night, uh, very old school guy, and Chris Pronger who's a terrifying individual by the way, um, super nice guy. Um, briefly talked to him, scared the bejesus out of me. Largest human being on earth. Um, but as as Graves was flying up the ice on this this one-man breakout <clears throat> that seemed to work mostly because nobody on the ice believed he was going to do it. And, you know, he he had an opportunity to pass the puck to, to McKinnon, and it was like, no, 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 not going to, you know, holding and waiting and kept driving the net, kept driving the puck and kept driving and kept driving and got all the way to the end. Made a nice pass out front. Derek Broussard buried it, and uh, in his first game, Derek Broussard got uh, what what could have been uh, 
a game-winning goal. Obviously, that was not meant to be, but still good to see the early re early return from Broussard. Um, the the rush from from Ryan Graves, you know, and and I wrote this in the grades uh, here tonight that this was a complicated game for Ryan Graves because up until the third period, I thought he was not good. I he just. He just, there were so many, there were so many turnovers. And it just, it was just not, ugh. it was just not good. I, I thought it was one of, one of his worst performances uh, of the season up until the third period. And then something happened in third period where it just sort of clicked for him. And I'm not sure why that is so strange to me that, you know, while, while his team is floundering, Ryan Graves takes this big step forward and it, and you know, maybe, maybe it's just one of those things. I mean, this is a one-off and we never talk about it again, but it, it stood out to me in a way because this, this is a team that's just allowing themselves to get run and for various stretches. And Hey, look, there, there are two NHL teams out there, and that's something that I think we forget to acknowledge too often, where we can forget, hey, you know, the, these guys, it's not just the avalanche out there playing well and not playing well, and that's how games get decided. There's another NHL team out there that's allowed to dictate how things go, too, and you know, the Panthers, to their credit, came with it at the start of that third period. And definitely, they, I mean, they were housing the Avs. It was, to me, it was just so disappointing to see. You know, the Avs have been on the strong run. <clears throat> they get, just come back off that road trip. Uh, they get a dead, they get a shot in the arm from, from the deadline acquisition. Hey, you know, we were we were walking by Miko Rantanen right after the news broke of the deal, and he said, "Oh yeah, heard about that. Should be fun." You know, looked looked excited. You know, hey. And for some reason, they just instead of instead of bringing the thunder and turning the Pepsi Center into the house of pain for the Florida Panthers, it was just sort of a house of mediocrity. The, the game never really had any flow. The Avs didn't jump out. You know, Florida was a much better team early on. It was just... It was a, just a disappointing overall game. And the fact that they had 2 nothing leads and then a 3-2 lead halfway through the third period... <sighs> I will say, though, what I did like after the Hoffman goal is they got back to work. And they responded and they... they you know, they created some chances. I thought Roberto Luongo played a very, very strong game overall. Um, I really, man, he he felt like the big difference in the game to me uh, was that he was making saves left and right. He was making tough saves. He was, the Avs, the Avs could have definitely put up a, a five spot pretty easily in regulation. Um, and whereas, you know, if you look at the shots, they're even at 39 to 38 overall, uh, each team had one shot on goal in, 
uh, in overtime, so it wasn't wasn't like that skewed things. It was just the Avs. The Avs were much better creating some of the quality chances. I thought, um, especially early on, I thought they they definitely. I liked I liked the quality, especially early, but. I did not there's just something about that third period that's just it's been it's been sitting with me for a while now it's been bothering me um it, it was very disappointing this is a team that needs to take this I, 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 I don't want I don't mean to imply they're not taking it seriously but they need to they seem stuck in this weird funk right now this this weird like yes they've they've done a good job yes they've got what points and a bunch of their games, like nine of their last 10 games, something like that. Um, and they're, and that's what you got to do. You just got to find a way to get points and keep rolling. Like this is, this is not my frustration is on a macro level purely or on a micro level purely just from this game. Um, because if you go back a couple of weeks, you know, to that, to that road trip out East in the beginning of the month in Washington, that's really when they started playing better hockey. And then there was the Toronto fiasco, but other than that, like they've played pretty good hockey. And tonight against Florida was just sort of blah. And that's the frustration. They were able to get up. They they were super competitive against Washington and the Islanders and the Bruins. Uh, they played a good five-on-five game against Toronto, and they lost that game in a span of three minutes with all the power play meltdowns. And then, you know, they play really good games against Winnipeg, St. Louis, Vegas, Winnipeg. They get away with a couple in Chicago and Nashville where uh, Chicago especially, I didn't think they played great, but they were hyper-competitive in that game. And they played to the moment really well. And then in Nashville, I'm not really... That game was weird. Um, a 5-0 game, but for 20, you know... That game got away at the end. But, like, going into the, you know... 3-0 going into the third period, but it was, it, you know, that was a really tight game for most, for half of the game. That was a, that was a tight-checking game. And that could have gone either way, and Grubauer was awesome in that game. I mean awesome. Um, so it was, um, I don't know, that, that was kind of an odd game, though. But tonight, they just felt, they just felt very disjointed. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing a really poor job of explaining this, uh, which, which really speaks to, the complicated feelings that that game gave me because typically I'm able to sort out what I want to say pretty cleanly. Uh, this has been, this has been frustrating, but let's just, let's just get down to the nuts and bolts of this. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm starting to run long and I'm not making much sense. <laughs> they played an all right game. Uh, given the game situations, you would have liked a better result. Uh, a 12th, a 12th loss after regulation. Not good. I mean, that's a mess. That's just a mess. Um, Varley was okay. The Hoffman goal in the third period to tie it up was just, you know, you'd like to see him make that save. And certainly the goal in overtime was nothing special. You'd really, and if you look at the two shots on goal, I hate to, I hate to, oh, the Avs lost a game. It's immediately goaltending's fault because that last goal, it's, it's complicated. But I think the raw reality is Varley probably needs to make that save. And it's a fair expectation that he makes that save. However, we have the Nathan McKinnon conundrum here. 
McKinnon is there. He did the hard work. He did the dirty work. He beat his man back to the spot. He just got caught puck watching and didn't defend the puck when when Ekblad finally showed up uh, to give Mike Hoffman some help. And credit to Sam Gerrard. Gerrard made a really nice play uh, to to get back there and to force that pu- force Hoffman to move that puck because it sure looked like oh Hoffman's going to beat him down the ice. He's just going to blow this past Varley. And game's going to end. Uh, Gerrard did a great job um, defending that and forcing that puck. McKinnon, it just didn't, it, it looked, it couldn't have been a worse look for Nathan McKinnon there. It looked lazy, it looked unengaged, disengaged. It just didn't look good. And, you know, that comes after a game I thought he was awesome. He didn't score any points, but he was by far the best player on the ice, in my opinion. Uh, he was absolutely dominating shifts. Uh, there was one shift in particular where I'm about 85% positive that both Florida defense d- defenders pooped themselves while he was coming down the ice because he flew right through them and both of those guys just looked, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, flustered. And, I mean, the plays that he was making throughout the night, whew. Now, you can argue there was a moment there in the final minute or so where he passed it back to Matt Calvert. Um, it would have been an easy goal had Calvert been able to get the stick on it. Should he have shot it? You know, knowing the end result, it's easy to say, yeah, he totally should have shot that. But had Calvert banked that home, it would have been just like the Sam Gerrard play from the other day against Nashville, where he was able to get the pass through to Landeskog. Landeskog puts it into an empty net, and it looks like beautiful hockey. You know, had that puck gotten tipped, and that doesn't end up there, you know, that doesn't end up into a, uh, end up a goal, we're all saying, oh, why didn't Gerrard shoot it? You know, and the same situation here for me was that oh, McKinnon, he could have easily shot it. Um, he tried to make the high-level play. It did not work out for him. And, you know, here we are. But it's it's tough. How do you, how do you settle up with Nathan McKinnon being what I thought was a, a pretty dominant player tonight? And then in overtime, the brain fart on defense where he just is totally puck-watching. And he's just standing there. I I don't have an answer to that. It's tough. Um, I I'm just not sure. Um, that's I guess in the eye of the beholder because for me I I mean that's not who McKinnon's going to be. But you'd really like to see him be a little more competitive in that situation. You know he's he's part of your leadership group. He's your best player. Your team is going to take so many things from his from him, and he did so many good things on the night for it to end that way. Justifiably frustrating and disappointing, and tough to tough to settle up mentally. Um, kind of kind of a good way to describe that game overall. To be honest with you, is uh, definitely could have walked out with another point. Um, but I just, you know, hey, if Luongo doesn't make a great glove save on Sam Gerrard a minute earlier, we're not even talking, 10 seconds earlier, we're not even talking about talking about this. Same with the Islanders overtime where Barry ripped that one past Robin Leonard and, and got pure post. You know, if that, if that doesn't, 
the Avs could just bury a couple of the chances they've actually managed to create in these overtimes, Simeon Varlamov wouldn't have to make a save all the time. You know, and and we oh Varley needs to make that save. It's a reasonable expectation he makes that save. You know, it's a reasonable expectation Nathan McKinnon gets into three on three and is the best player on earth. You know, and all right, I'm just gonna get worked up. So I'm gonna go ahead and um gonna go ahead and end the first segment here. Uh, before I get mad about overtime and why it just isn't working. It's disappointing. It's frustrating. I don't know how to fix it. I do think that they're getting more competitive in them. But when you've lost, when you're 1-12 beyond regulation, you know, baby steps don't really feel all that great anymore. You know, there's no moral victories. There's You can look at it and you can, you can be rational and you can be grounded, but the actual raw results, it's not hard to say. Had you even won half of those overtime games... You're comfortably in the postseason, and you're not messing around with the freaking Minnesota Wild, who are apparently trying to set fire to their roster. So that's not the kind of company you want to keep. You got to be above being the Minnesota Wild. Anyway, let's pay some bills. BSN listeners, which you are, I'm excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. I know you guys have heard this before. I know some of you are fast-forwarding, but those of you who are not, Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible. Make sure that you check them out. It's taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It's helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all-natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we wouldn't could not recommend it more to our listeners. It's a staple around the BSN offices. Several of us drink it uh, recreationally. It's the goods. If you want the goods, it's the goods. So make sure that you check it out for yourself today. Receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2019 at checkout. You'll get it shipped straight to your door. I'm AJ Hayfley. This is the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Beverage. I will be right back. Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. 
When it comes to insurance, sometimes you never really realize how important it can be until you actually need it. Well, here at BSN Denver, we recommend Farmers Agent Bryce Babcock to all of our listeners as one of the most trusted and reliable agents in the metro area. If I was a customer looking for a new agency, I would recommend Bryce because his agency hands down is the fastest people I've ever dealt with to get information back to you. That was David. He's been a client of Bryce's for over three years now. I used to have my homeowner's insurance with another farmer's agency that never really followed up, never followed up on the price. My price was actually dropped by almost 20 to 30 percent switching over to Bryce, even with the same company. And like I said, his follow up is awesome. He guarantees you at least a one time a year follow up that he will sit back and review your file with you. Like David mentioned, Bryce guarantees that type of communication because he understands how important it is to be relatable and accessible. He's a great person to not only be your agent, but he's a great person to be your friend as well. If you're interested in making the switch to Bryce Babcock for your life, home, business, or auto insurance, be sure to call 303-996-6509 and mention BSN. Welcome back in segment number two here, the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. I am the man, the myth, and certainly not the legend, but the dude. The quite approachable, relatively friendly, also mostly shy dude. Uh, AJ Hayfley here. I think I said that already. Now I'm just lost in this weird thing of introducing myself a thousand times. We're going to talk, uh, we, you and I, dear listener, we're going to have a little conversation. We're going to have a back and forth here, a mind meld. Uh... Derek Broussard acquired at the trade deadline in exchange uh, for a third-round pick in 2020 alongside a conditional sixth that Colorado would receive if they do not... uh, if the Avs do not sign Broussard. So, since I've gone about this awkwardly, um, just just to quickly run this down... Colorado gets Derek Broussard. They get a conditional sixth in 2020. If Broussard re-signs with Colorado, Florida will not have to give up that sixth-round pick in 2020. The Avalanche will have to give out uh, the third-round pick in 2020 no matter what. They have parted ways with it. It is now Florida's. So, Derek Broussard, what what did they get? Well, it kind of... uh... First off, this continues the long avalanche trend and the very Josakic trend of trading for trading trading picks for blah NHL players. You know, Derek Broussard was really good a couple of years ago uh, in in helping the Rangers to some really good postseasons. You know, but those those days are gone. 2015, 2016 is not coming back. You know, he was he was really solid for the Senators a couple of years ago. Um, and then last year moved on from the Sens to the Pens. Did not mean to rhyme. That just sort of happened. And things were never quite right for Derek Broussard in Pittsburgh. And this is where I think is interesting. Colorado... When I boiled down the nuts and bolts of this deal, the D'Angles, when I looked at all of them, what this came down to for me is the Avalanche paid a third-round pick in 2020 for 
a player who has been a good NHL player for a long time, who was, by all accounts, frustrated with his role in Pittsburgh, uh, was unhappy with how things were going there. It just, it just didn't quite click with him. Uh, a guy that everybody has described as a great guy, uh, just a huge hockey nut. Uh, from the media side, all the media people that I've talked to have said he's a, he's great in the room. He's a good talker. Uh, break down the game with you. All those things. I'm excited to uh, figure that part out when I when I get a chance to actually sit and talk with him. Uh, should be cool. But sticking to the hockey side of this, this is a guy that He's thir- okay, he's 31. And there's the human element of he was unhappy in Pittsburgh. Things never really got going. He wasn't in Florida long enough for you to really say much you know, about his time there. But, <clears throat> you know, and, and obviously one game, one goal, one overtime loss for in Colorado, you're not gonna you're not gonna have any strong opinion there either. But They paid a third-round pick to on on the upside. They're rolling the dice that the upside of the deal is this is this is a still a good hockey player. This is a smart player that knows how to succeed in this league. Can win some faceoffs. He can play left wing. He can play center. He can do a couple of different things. And he played next to Tyson Jost uh, for a lot of uh, the the first game against Florida tonight. And Tyson Jost was very, very good. Um, and I thought Derek Broussard was solid. If they're going to continue to show that chemistry and they're going to play well next to one another, this isn't going to be a very complicated thing. This might be something that <clears throat> this might this might be something that actually works down the stretch. Uh, I'm not going to get into the the idea of re-signing him and giving up that sixth rounder. That is a summer thing. We'll see how he does. I'm not going to say that they should or shouldn't do it. Um, we'll see. We'll just, we'll see, okay? Like, that's, I'm going to push that off. I'm, I'm not going to take a strong stance on that one until I see how he's played with the ads. But they, they paid the third round pick um, on the upside here, which is, Hey, this guy is a change of scenery candidate. Happens all the time um, with with guys who have become accustomed to succeeding in the league, playing a certain way, getting by, um, doing certain things, you know, to to be successful in the NHL. And when they play in a different role, things change for them dramatically, and they're asked to be a different guy on a, certainly a more talented team. It's it can get a lot tougher, and a guy you know doesn't adapt as well. Uh, he's been he's been in a certain role for a really long time in his career, and all of a sudden he's not anymore. And especially when a guy has significant amount of success, uh, and then hey, we need you to be somebody completely different. It just it was just a bad fit in Pittsburgh. It really just did not work out. Uh, and there was a lot of unhappiness there. And so you're rolling the dice that the player is not washed up. And that's that's the concern. You know, that's the downside of this. 
At 31 years old, he was never an elite player to begin with. Um, just a really good, solid NHLer, but never an elite player. And so you you can say all the classic signs are there of a guy that at 31 his prime has just passed him. He wasn't he wasn't a special player in his prime. The 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 thin line between a good a good top six guy and a guy who just can't hang in the NHL anymore and can't adapt to a lower six role, uh, can't grind it out, can't be that guy anymore. Um, it's it's a really thin line, you know. You and and for a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys are able to they they hit that 30, 31, 32 year old wall and they never recover. And maybe that's what's happened with Derek Broussard. The Avalanche paid a third-round pick to see which side of that coin uh, he ultimately lands on. For me, it's a really cheap cost to, and I can already hear some people rolling their eyes. I get it. Um, it's a really cheap cost to find out which Derek Broussard is actually out there. Um, I've had an inkling that the Avs were uh, interested in Broussard for a while, so I had done a lot of background um, on uh, on Broussard already in case uh, he got dealt from Pittsburgh. Obviously, after he got dealt to Florida, I kind of cooled my jets on that a little bit, and this only started to reheat in the last few days uh, when it sounded like they were interested in maybe adding a forward, but on the cheap. Uh, Broussard made sense there. They didn't want to touch their 2019 draft class. They said, hey, we've got five picks in the top three rounds. We're just going to roll with that and, and go from there. The downside of this, Colorado, Joe Sackick, they keep making trades. They keep making these blah trades. Um, you know, if you look at all the picks that Sackick has traded away in his time as GM uh, and what he's gotten in return for him, there hadn't been a lot of sustained success there. You know, second-round picks for Brad Stewart and Reto Berra. Third round picks for Eric Jelena, Derek Broussard. Fourth round pick for Colin Wilson. And these are just the ones that I can remember off the top of my head. Um, there might have, there, I'm sure that there's one or two more that are in there that I'm forgetting. But that list that I just listed off right there, I mean, all, <laughs> um, you know, I guess Bodker and, and Sean Mathias, you know, Mathias for a fourth. I think that's the that's the deal that this Broussard deal feels most likely to be similar to. You know, Bodker was a little more complicated. There were picks, there were prospects, there were conditionals. A lot of other moving parts were involved in that deal, and Bodker lived up to, to, to be fair, Bodker lived up to his end of that. Uh, that Avalanche team didn't make the postseason down the stretch, but you remember they also had injuries to Duchesne and McKinnon that year that certainly complicated things. Um, but Bodker was okay. Sean Mathias was okay. Uh, after that though, I mean, Sean Mathias, that, that was kind of the end of Sean Mathias's run as a, as a useful NHL player though. You know, after, after that, uh, he signed in Winnipeg and he spent two years, two, two years in Winnipeg, um, didn't play very much, wasn't wasn't a big part of the Jets' uh, plans, and, you know, is no longer in the NHL. Eric Jelena did not work out, was a huge bust in Colorado, uh, did not work out. You know, that was a definitely a WA guy that Jared Bednar wanted nothing to do with. 
And the NHL didn't want anything to do with him. Not in the NHL anymore. Uh, so, you know, you look at that, and Mikhail Bodker is really kind of it. Like, all these other guys that they traded for, Reto Berra, uh, finished out his contract and then moved on from the Avs, out of the NHL. Um, so, you know, it's... Colin, you, you wonder how much... Hey, how much longer is Colin Wilson going to be in the NHL? Fair question. He's going to move on. He probably, uh, probably will move on from the Avs... Uh, this this year and at the end of this year and you know it's a fair question how much I mean he's he's had his moments for the abs this year but that's not a guy that looks like a long-term NHL or anymore you know he's already a bottom six guy that that's got a very sp- specific role and it's on him to continue to prove that he he can hang so, you know, there's a what I'm saying is there's a real possibility two years from now, Colin Wilson's not in the NHL either. And these these deals that Sackett keeps making for these picks are for such marginal borderline NHL players that he's I mean, the Avs return on these picks is very much a you get what you pay for. Or in the case of the second round picks, you know, second rounder for Philip Grubauer. How how in the world do I forget that deal? Uh Second rounder for Philip Grubauer. And the early returns on Grubauer have not been good. Now, I'm a believer in that one. Um, I'm a believer in Grubauer. I think that he'll turn it around. I think that he'll ultimately find his way to be productive in Colorado. Whether or not that's as a highly paid backup or as the ultimate starter down the road, I don't know. We will see. But... Uh, I do, I do believe Groovy will get there. Um, I've just been too much of a believer in his game to to give up on him now. But moving on, point is, Sackett continues to give up these picks, uh, and and the arguments. Oh, the Avs, the Avs have not drafted and developed well. Here's a list of the guys starting in 2010 that they have. Uh, that have made the NHL that they were drafted after the first round by the Avalanche. Got it. All those arguments. I get I get it. It's fine. It's fine. Um cool. Like point made, no arguments. But for me it's okay, so if they have not drafted and they have not developed well, then why are we upset about them giving up that pick? It just it just seems like you either get to be mad about the fact that they aren't drafting and developing well, or you get to be mad about the fact that they keep blowing these picks in deals that aren't yielding any kind of meaningful NHL returns yet, anyway. And, and I mean, the Derek Broussard deal, let's be honest, we're not expecting this to move the needle a whole lot. Uh, this should... This 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 could have a, a, a positive impact, but ultimately Colorado making the postseason, not making the postseason, it's probably going to come down to guys you know named McKinnon and Landeskog and and Johnson and Barry and Gerard and Varlamov, not Broussard. And that's you know feels like the reality of it, but I will say my last point here, the Avs, it was a. It was a cheap, it was a cheap move. And 
it's not unimportant. I know that there are some people who shrug this off uh, because they've always got the long, the big game, the big picture in mind, and I appreciate that. And that's it's a it's a valid it's a valid way to look at it. But it is not unimportant, in my opinion, that the Avalanche make the postseason two years in a row. Of all the fits and starts and problems that they've had. Uh, in this this ten year rebuild, which you know they've they've taken three different swings at, of all these of all these issues that they've had in these rebuilds, they haven't made the postseason in consecutive years in any of them. And when you look at the position that they're in today, you know they could have made it in that second year under under Patrick Waugh when they had Bodker and they had Matthias. Uh, but you look at the roster. That roster was aging out. It's it's impact players. I mean, as we saw, a lot of those guys not in the league anymore. Um, a lot of those guys moved on. Different things happened there. Where the Avs sit today, you know, they they could do nothing this summer. Add Kale McCarr, and that's a meaningful upgrade. I don't expect for that to happen. I'm just saying... The Avs are in a different position now than they were back then. And to make the postseason last year, we all agreed, hey, that was gravy. There were expectations this year. And the West bottoming out the way that it has has opened up the door for this Avalanche team, which should have been totally out of it. But instead, here they are. They're in the race. And this was a cheap cost for them to make uh, an upgrade that... that could have an impact shouldn't be it's, it shouldn't be like a game-changing thing your best players still need to be your best players but this is this is a guy that's had a good nhl career he's a proven player over a long period of time the only question is is he washed up now but i do think that there is there is value in making the postseason two years in a row especially when you're going to pick in the top five with the Ottawa pick. You're going to add Kale McCarr, who might be the best prospect not in the NHL right now. I mean, the guy is leading UMass to a top five. I mean, a potential frozen four. The guy could win Hobie Baker. I can't stress enough how different it is to have that in Colorado's back pocket. Of They're going to be adding Kale McCarr. They're going to be adding whoever they draft with that Ottawa pick. Those two things alone, regardless of any free agent additions, regardless of what they do at the goaltender position, regardless of any other internal graduations, Connor Timmons getting healthy, Shane Bauer signing out of college, whatever. Pick pick whichever young player you like that graduates and has an, it could have an impact on the avalanche moving forward. Regardless of how Tyson Jost continues to develop, who looks like a totally different guy over the last couple of weeks. And had what I thought was a really good game tonight against Florida. I thought he was one of Colorado's better players. He could, and to be honest, reborn Tyson Jost could be their most important addition uh, in the second half in this in this playoff run. But regardless of all those things, like the Avs will have those two, Kale McCarr and the Ottawa pick. And making the postseason two years in a row while adding those two things. Just those two things. And, hey, maybe the Avs lose the lottery. 
and they end up with the third or fourth pick. They take somebody uh, outside of, of Kako and Hughes that does not end up in the NHL next year. And they're, they're, we're having this conversation a year from now. Again, except Makar is here. Maybe Timmons is here. And then we're talking about the Ottawa pick coming in. We're talking about Martin Kaut coming in. Another guy who I always forget in this conversation. You know, it's it's not irrelevant. That fact, those those facts, that is, they are not irrelevant. And making the postseason two years in a row before those things happen, I think would be a pretty it's 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 a baby step. Absolutely, admittedly, it's a baby step, especially if they go in and they get smoked in the first round and they're not competitive, which did not happen last year and provides you with a little bit of hope that, hey, maybe with as weird as the West has been this year, depending on how the matchups play out, Colorado gets into the first round. Maybe they could do a little damage. Maybe they could steal a round. You never know what happens when you get to the postseason. Probably you're pretty comfortable with the idea the Avs probably aren't winning the cup this year, but... It's not irrelevant for these guys to get another year of postseason experience to raise the bar, raise the bar for themselves, raise the bar for the city, raise this bar for the fan base, raise the bar for for guys like myself in the media who have given them free passes for a long time under the guise of patience. It's not irrelevant that this franchise comes to expect more from itself on a day to day basis. It's not irrelevant. First, a first-round loss in this situation, even if it ends up being the first-round loss, but just making the postseason and and raising expectations for everybody around it, it is not irrelevant in my opinion. And I think the Derek Broussard thing, you're going to feel how you're going to feel about it, and pretty much whatever happens from here on out is going to serve as confirmation bias. It's going to drive home the point that you want to, you want driven home. And that's fine. That's the world we live in. That's how brains work. That's how humans work. It's what people are. But for me, I think it was a small good thing. Low risk, low reward, low creativity. That'll do it for segment number two here of the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. I'll be right back on the other side to uh, talk a little bit about the trade deadline in general. Some of the things I liked, some of the things I didn't. Stick around. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. 
To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out elixinol.com. Welcome back. Segment number three here, the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. I am AJ Hayfley. Uh, hanging out by myself, which you already know, so I'm going to stop saying that. And want to want to get into a little bit of the trade deadline. I'm not going to get into it too much because Jesse Montano and I are going to do a little bit more of a thorough uh, examination of, of the deadline around the league. But I just want to talk about some of the things that I think are going to impact uh, Colorado the most. So I'm going to stick mostly to the Central Division here. Um, we've talked about Columbus. All I will say about Columbus is one of my one of my favorite quotes from a movie, which is a literary quote. So, you know, my attribution is messed up there. But Columbus, be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. Good luck to them in getting ham and going all in on the uh, on the postseason this year. Get you some. Love it. The Minnesota Wild. A name that, when said out loud, produces just the worst of natural reactions, especially from Avalanche fans. Eh. I don't know what they're doing. When... Paul Fenton was hired away from Nashville. He's been one of the AGMs that I have. There were three AGMs in the last two years that I had looked around the league and said, these guys are going to be GMs sooner than later. It was Rob Blake, um, Julian Brisebois, Paul Fenton. All three are now general managers. <laughs> so, Okay. Uh, I would say Kelly McCrimmon is next on that list, by the way. That dude is nails at his job. Uh, I would take Kelly McCrimmon over George McPhee at this point. But I'm a believer in potential. And I like The Wizard of Oz. It's a good movie. Fenton took over in Minnesota. There was a lot of... From a from a I want Colorado to do well perspective, I got a little nervous. This is a guy that has run a really good, really successful program in Nashville for a long time alongside David Poyle. As the head guy, though, some curious things have taken place. Victor Rask for Nino Niederreiter? What? Very odd deal. Charlie Coyle for Ryan Donato got younger. Upside play. Cool. I can buy that one. Kevin Fiala for Mikhail Granlund? Odd. Very odd to me. Alan, Kevin Fiala, they, so Minnesota gets younger here. Fiala's only 22 years old. Uh, he's just now in the final year of his ELC, so he's he's right at right at where guys get get paid now. Uh, he's in the money. How much is he really gonna make though? 
you know, his his NHL career consists of one 20-goal season. Um, he's got 10 goals this year in 64 games played. Um, Production-wise, he's going to likely end up basically where Alex Kerfoot has been the last two seasons. And just in terms of raw production, they're going to, they're going to be in the same ballpark with one another, but Kevin Fiala is a first round pick in 2014 and has buzz, buzz, buzz. Obviously Fenton with his time in Nashville, very, very familiar with Fiala. Why? The urgency, the willingness to move on from Mikhail Granlund. I don't know. And to definitely set up Nashville with a player of that caliber who is signed at least through next year, you know, and this is not to say Mikhail Granlund is a, you know, has, has proven to be a special player, but back-to-back 60-point seasons. On his way to another one this year. I'm just not sure why that's the guy that that you would want to move on from. You know, I guess at 27 years old and with a year left in on his deal uh, before he goes into free agency and probably gets a bit of a raise from the 575, the million uh, contract that he's on right now, you know... I can see, I mean, I can't see the Rays being too significant. You know, maybe he gets maybe he gets in the seven range. That would seem fair. You know, to get somewhere six to seven. Okay, that's a relatively modest raise, though. And it's a guy that's earned it. I guess if you're worried about him aging out of it, that's fine. You know, again, Kevin Fiala, 22. Mikhail Granlin, 27. So you're really just kind of resetting the RFA years. You're basically saying, hey, we paid for all the RFA years of Mikhail Granlund. We're not going to pay for the UFA years. But we'll pay for all these RFA years of Kevin Fiala, who's ending, who's, who's, um, ELC is ending this year. They've got four years of uh, RFA status that they, of essential team control, basically that they can choose to pay for uh, however they want. So, okay, I get that. And I get that Minnesota had, you know, has has had complicated books and, you know, the, the money has been tight and they've had to kind of tap dance around certain things. But for me... The bottom line is they've gotten, they've made three high profile trades and gotten the inferior player in each of them, especially Nita Ryder for Rask. I mean, that was a really big swing and a miss for me. Um, but, you know, Rask signed at $4 million, which is really cheap these days, uh, as a 25 year old uh, center who can be a two or three C for you, in at least in you know, La La Land, where Paul Fenton is clearly living. Um, why why he's downgrading his roster, I don't know. But he's, he's certainly making it cheaper. And it's not, it's, you know, it's not complicated when you start to follow the money, right? Okay. You know, Miko Koivu's at the end of the line. He'll be moving on soon. 
they extended Eric Stahl today. Um, I thought they gave him a big a big raise. They did not. They actually, you know, he got less money than he was getting paid now uh, to stay. But three point two five million for the next two years for Eric Stahl. You get rid of a couple of young guys, but you're willing to pay Eric Stahl. All right, I guess that's a thing. Um, Eric Stahl is only going to be making a couple hundred thousand dollars more than Marcus Foligno at this point. I, I don't know. The point is Minnesota is getting worse, uh, and they're freeing up money for them to at least have the flexibility to do stuff. And that's not irrelevant because they definitely, <laughs> They definitely had kind of locked themselves into the roster that they had built, and this this gives them a little flexibility. These the the, the handful of moves, you know, need a writer to to Rask is a major downgrade in player, uh, but saves them money. Uh, with Fiala, he probably won't get the five seven five that Grandland was making. He also probably won't produce the points that Grandland was producing. So, again, kind of like Avs with the uh, mid-round pick trades. Uh, in this case, you're kind of getting what you pay for. Uh, now, obviously, they they also have, you know, they dealt Coyle, who I believe is the UFA at the end of next year as well, uh, for Donato, who's at the end of his ELC. So, again, you're getting cheaper. Uh, but they're going to have other younger, you know, Luke Cunning is only 21 in the second year of his ELC. Um, but he hasn't he hasn't done enough at the NHL level yet to really worry about how much money he's going to make. So, okay, Kevin Fiala should get a, a hefty raise from his ELC, but it shouldn't be like a a two year three and a half million dollar deal. Seems like that's you know maybe four million dollars. Seems like that's fair enough for for Fiala right now. So it's not it's not like they're going to be saving gobs of cash here. I'm just I'm just not totally sold on what Minnesota's up to right now because it feels like they're taking big meaningful steps backwards but they're not touching the group that makes them competitive which is their defense between <clears throat> excuse me between Suter, Spurgeon, Brodeen and Dumba who you know Dumba's obviously hurt right now but between those guys they make life as easy as possible on Devin Dubnik and if you're gonna if you're gonna retool and you're gonna kind of burn it down and reset here as a franchise, those are the guys you need to be really moving while they still have value. Especially a guy like Jared Spurgeon, who really underrated guy, but he's starting. You know, he's he's 29 years old. Um, that's a that's a guy that you know. The next time they're, they're looking at being any kind of cup competitive probably isn't going to be part of this. You know, Matt Dumba at 24, Jonas Prodine at 25. I can understand them being like, we're not moving on from those guys. We're going to hang out with them, see how these guys develop. That's fine. I get that. I just, for me, I feel like Minnesota especially, they're taking steps back. They're they're getting worse players uh, in the name of saving money, but they're just not saving enough for it to be meaningful. 
I'm just unimpressed. I'm, you know, and maybe it's the Colorado glasses that I wear that that is always unimpressed with what Minnesota does. I I like to think that as an analyst, I'm I'm pretty fair, but I'm pretty un, I'm pretty underwhelmed by uh <laughs> what they got going on there to be honest. Um uh, other other things that happened in the deadline, uh Nashville, speaking of, you know, I thought Grandlin that's a good move for them. Um I do wonder if this takes them out of uh, some of the Matt Duchesne running uh, in the summer because now they're all the way up to uh, $75 million uh, on, on the books. You know, they've got raises kicking in for guys. Roman Yossi's a UFA at the end of next year, as is Mikhail Grandland. Uh, they, they went out and got Wayne Simmons and Brian Boyle. Um, okay, they're going to have to pay Colton Sissons, who they love. Um, you know, it shouldn't be a really expensive deal, but it's certainly not going to be $600,000 for Colton Sissons moving forward. Um, they're going to have to pay him. They've got to keep in mind, you know, they've got big money extensions for, for Yossi. And, you know, depending on how things go with Grandland, potentially him as well. After next season, I think this this might take them, barring another move, a big move, uh, this this might take them out of the Matt Duchesne thing this summer. You know, I guess if they move Kyle Turris, uh, that would put them right back in it. But I don't see where they're going to have $8 million to sign Matt Duchesne this summer without, without a corresponding uh, decision. So uh, that's been kind of everybody's favorite, like, oh, just... You know, drag and drop Duchesne there. But for me, uh, the money that they've added in, and you know, the Simmons and Boyle deals are just, I mean, that's temporary. So, you know, you don't even worry about those deals. But with all the raises and everything factored into it, they, yeah, they, um, They might have taken them out of that, and it's fair to wonder if that was worth it. Uh, Wayne Simmons isn't much of a 5v5 player anymore. He's a guy that's very much living off of reputation. Um, he's a heart and soul guy. You love the way he plays the game. But that body has taken an insane amount of abuse over the last few years. And as a power forward at 30 years old, facing free agency and breaking down physically... You know, for Nashville, it was a relatively cheap gamble to move on from Ryan Hartman, who they were going to have to pay. And it was like a fourth-round pick, I think, uh, that they that they used to get Simmons. That's a worthwhile gamble. Hey, I have no issues with that deal. I'm totally fine with that because paying, paying Ryan Hartman, meh. You know, that's... And... and Poyle being willing to move on from what was a failed deal last year. They gave up a first-round pick in the deal to get Hartman. Yeah. David Poyle at the deadline. Always an adventure. Uh, but really ninjaed his way through it today. Added Granlin for Fiala, which I think is a legit, meaningful upgrade. Um, added Wayne Simmons. Uh, replaced Ryan Hartman again. I think a legit upgrade for this season. 
and as a team that's looking to make a run for, for the cup, sure, cool. Um, it's got to happen. Otherwise, you're just you know, continuing to downgrade in assets. You know, they, they turned a first-round pick into Ryan Hartman, who they turned into Wayne Simmons, who could end up walking on them with no cup to show for it. Those kinds of downgrades in assets is usually how teams uh, end up throwing away parts of their windows and degrading their own long-term sustainability of competitiveness. Uh, we'll see how that ultimately goes for Nashville, but it's interesting to see. Winnipeg going out and getting Kevin Hayes, uh, giving up Brendan Lemieux in a first. Good for them. Predictable. Relatively safe. Um, the Nick Patan deal with Toronto made no sense to me. You're going to give up Nick Patan for a low upside blog guy. I, I don't know. It didn't make sense to me. Um, but that's fine. You know, I nothing against Parland Holm. I just you're trading a good offensive prospect for what exactly? Uh, but really goes to show you that the, the value just really wasn't there for him as a player. Um, getting Matt Hendricks, even for a seventh round pick, like that's if that dude even plays for you, you've done you've made a bad decision with your lineup. Uh, that's too that's too deep of a forward core for Matt Hendricks to justifiably play over any of those guys. Like who's who's he going to play over? Andrew Cop, you know Brandon Tanev? Like no way. Those guys are all good. Jack Rosovic? Like, come on. I guess the one guy you can play over is Par Lindholm. <laughs> I don't know. Winnipeg, predictable. It was fine. Um, they needed help on defense, and they went out and they acquired, like, half of the defensemen available. Um, Nathan Bullio, um, Bogdan Kisilevich. Bogdan? Bogdan? As I anglicized that pretty thoroughly. Um... Look, Dustin Buffalo needs to get healthy. Josh Morrissey needs to be healthy. Connor Hellbuck needs to play well. That's your pathway to a cup for for the Jets. It's not complicated. And it's not Nathan Bullio. And it's not Matt Hendricks. Of all, of all the things that Shovel Dayoff decided to get trade happy with, it was it was with tinkering. I That's stuff I don't get. Uh, you draft and you develop as well as anybody in the NHL, and you give away draft picks for very, very minor upgrades. I mean, that's, you know, they have no seventh-round picks for the next three years. And, hey, they're seventh-rounders. I get it. They've also given up their sixth this year, their fourth next year, their third this year, their first this uh, this year as well. I mean, it's just, what are you doing? You need those picks. You're Winnipeg. You're going to need those. Not the seventh rounder so much. But, again, getting what you're paying for. <laughs> Matt Hendricks? Nathan Bullio? Yeah. I think that's going to do it for me. We will uh, get more into the trade deadline. Uh, run all of it down. Talk about the league as a whole. Get into the landscape of it. Get into the Mark Stone thing, which broke Avs fans' hearts, justifiably so. Uh, talk about why it was good that the Avalanche did not trade for Mark Stone because it would have cost them kill McCarr, apparently. 
Um, tough stuff. Dis uh, disappointing finish uh, tonight against the the Panthers. It is what it is. Upwards and onwards. I am AJ Hayfley. It's been the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Bev. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you tomorrow.